Hello and welcome to Where the Rubber Meets the Road podcast with Safe Ride for Kids. You know, driving is the most dangerous activity that we do every day, but we recognize that, you know, you and your family have places to be and things to do. At Safe Ride for Kids, uh, we help you arrive safely. And we do that by equipping you with uh, innovative products and unbiased information from our team of certified safety experts. I'm Greg DeRocher, and today I'm the co-founder and CEO at Safe Ride for Kids. But my first career was as a firefighter paramedic, where unfortunately I did get to see the firsthand uh, devastation that car crashes can cause. And um, that's also where I got started in injury prevention education. In 2000, I, was a, I became a certified child passenger safety technician because really a child's safety in the car is largely to parent, dependent on the choices that the parents and caregivers make, and not necessarily on the child's choices. Um, I've actually been an instructor of that car seat safety curriculum, uh, certifying child passenger safety technicians since 2001. I am Amy DeRocher. I'm co-founder and creative director at Safe Ride for Kids. I became one of those uh, certified car seat technicians that Greg helped certify uh, back in 2004. I write most of the content for our website, and we are parents of three children. One is almost 16. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> Today we will be talking about direction. So when we're talking about installing children's car seats in the car, there are um, really just a few things that we need to be thinking about. Selection we covered in a different podcast, and that is selecting which car seat is going to be best for the child that you're responsible for. And part of selecting is actually knowing what direction your child needs to be. So Correct. And that's what we're going to cover today is the direction. Are, they, are you going to have the child facing the rear of the car or the front of the car? And we'll get to the, that in just a minute. The other things that need to be considered are the location, which of the seating positions in the car, then the actual installation in the car, like what systems are you going to use? Are you going to use the seatbelt or the other systems that come with the car seat in the car? And then the final step, the final thing that needs to be considered is harnessing. How do you correctly and appropriately harness the child? So today we're going to focus on the direction, the rear facing versus forward facing. Let's talk about, um, really, what are we talking about when we're talking rear-facing? You know, when I was a kid, we had this old station wagon that had, like, side-facing jump, uh, side-facing seats way in the back in the, in the cargo area. And, you know, sometimes you see uh, vehicles that have a rear-facing seat in the vehicle. Like, uh, I think Volvo had them for a while where there was a, a row... And the old station wagons and Tesla has them now. Yeah, where there's actually a, a, a row of the vehicle that has a, a rear-facing or side-facing position. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is your child's child restraint. Is it going to be facing the rear of the vehicle or the front of the vehicle in the vehicle's forward-facing seating position or seating bench or captain's chair or whatever the vehicle happens to have? Um. There are reasons for keeping a child rear-facing, and we'll talk more in depth uh, in a little bit about those, but 
first, let's talk about, you know, what's been the history, what's been the progression over time of the rear-facing recommendation? Well, for a long time, the recommendation was to keep children rear-facing until they were one years old, and that's what many of the state laws um, were written to say. Um, for instance, Colorado still says uh, keep your child rear-facing until one years old. Now, in 2011, the American Association of Pediatricians um, started recommending to keep your child rear-facing until they were two. And then at that point, some states started changing their laws. I think about 10, maybe a little bit more, have changed their laws till at least two years old. Um, and then in 2019, it seemed like it was a big to-do, but it really wasn't. Um, American Association of Pediatricians started recommending to keep children rear-facing until they outgrow the seat's weight or height limits. Now, as technicians, this is why it's not really a big to-do, as technicians, we've been saying best practice is to keep your ch child rear-facing for as long as possible. Up to the upper weight limit of the, of the child restraint that you're using. So if you're following um, car seat experts' best practice, then you're already following what AAP is now recommending. Right. And, um, you know, so there's also, and, and I'll try to describe this, I didn't bring the exact text with me, but actually any car seat that has a rear-facing functionality has a statement on it that can actually sometimes be confusing to parents, um, but it has a reference to one year or 20 pounds. Um, and some people misinterpret that as, um, that they can only use the, ch the car seat rear-facing uh, up to one year and 20 pounds. But I think what it's saying is that any child under one year and 20 pounds must be in a rear-facing, uh, that seat must be used rear-facing for the child, uh, while the weight limit and height limit go much higher than that for for the car seats on the, on the even, market. Even most infant carriers now, uh, they used to only go up to 20 pounds, but now they go up to 30, 35 pounds. Right. And then when we say infant carrier, what we're describing is the type of car seat that you carry the child in with the handle, and then it clicks into a base in the car. And yes, I can't imagine hauling a 30, 35 pound kid around. Um, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> with... with, with you know, carrying with groceries in handle. one arm and kid in, no, 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 no. Um, it seems like it would be very uncomfortable, but um, there are, like Amy said, those carriers that go up that high. Um, so the American Academy of Pediatrics did change their standards and they've updated it. And uh, if you're ever interested in finding out what your state law says about child restraints, go to our website. Uh, we have a short link which is sr4k.com forward slash laws l-a-w-s and amy uh, has an updated map of the entire u.s and what she has done is actually researched every state law she actually quotes the state statute and links to the state statute well i don't quote it i reword it so it's more understandable because they have a lot of legalese and <laughs> thens and, and you know, legalese in it. So I, I, I make it more understandable for parents, but I do also link to the um, statute so you can read it in the legalese if you want to. And the reason that we've done that 
Um, and I believe Save Bright for Kids was the first place on the internet that had that comprehensive guide. Uh, because sometimes um, agencies, government agencies, healthcare providers interpret state law. And one of the products that we sell is the Ride Safer Travel Vest, which is a certified child restraint system that is a seatbelt positioning device, but is not a booster seat. And as state laws change over time and start to address children over four years old, because 20 years ago when I got started doing car seats, it was very uncommon for any state law to uh, address children over four years old. Uh, there was no seatbelt positioning uh, requirements built into the statutes. So as states began to add language addressing children above the four-year um, harnessed car seat use, uh, a lot of people started misstating that their law, that their state had a booster seat law, which is a false statement in a lot of cases because a lot of times the law will state a child restraint, a certified child restraint, or a restraint that meets the federal safety standards, which includes both booster seats and the ride safer travel vest. So we felt or it was other a, child restraints or other child restraints. Yes, um, there's other products on the market that uh, are not booster seats or harness systems, but they are seatbelt positioning devices. So we just wanted to make sure that people had accurate information. Um, and I update that list every year. So every time there's a change to any state laws, then it gets updated every year. So I think the next thing that I want to talk about is why is it important to keep children rear-facing in the car seat uh, as opposed to um, turning them forward-facing? You know, I think one of the misconceptions that parents have, well, I'll let Amy talk about that in a minute, but... Um, for every stage of uh, car seat use, so let's say rear-facing, forward-facing, seatbelt positioning, and then ultimately the child will just be in the vehicle's seatbelt. As the child progresses through these stages, there's actually an incremental decrease in the level of, of protection or, I don't want to say safety, but it, it's they become less and less restrained as they move from one. Uh, now, remember that we, we want the child to be restrained in as many locations on their body, strong parts of their body um, as possible to spread out the crash, the, forces. the crash forces. So when they're rear facing. Exactly. So if you, so all car seat laws and all of this technology is based on statistics. Statistically, the most common type of crash is a forward impact. So our vehicle is moving forward and we run into something. So really, the, the majority of the laws and restraint technology is, is targeting those forward impacts. So in a forward impact, if you picture a child that is in a car seat facing the rear of the car, their entire head, neck, and back are all supported by the shell of the car seat. So as that forward impact occurs, uh, the child and all contents of the vehicle are gonna be moving towards that point of impact. A child's anatomy 
is very different than an adult's anatomy. And what we're talking about specifically is the ratio of the size of the head to the rest of the body. Children's heads are disproportionately large to the rest of their body. And then their body grows and catches up to the size of their head. Um, the, the Obviously, the most important systems in our body is our central nervous system, right? Our brain and spinal cord, which is the primary objective of restraining, of keeping kids rear-facing is to protect that central nervous system by protecting the head and the spinal cord, the spinal column. And the reason that this is important, that the shell of the car seat be there to provide that support is actually has to do with the development of the vertebrae in the neck. So if you can imagine a child's head weighs several pounds, let's just use a round number of five pounds. Um, in a 10 mile an hour crash, we use the simple formula of speed times weight to calculate how much restraining force is going to be required to restrain that object, that the, the child's head. So if we're looking at speed times weight, five pound head, 10 mile an hour crash, it's going to be 50 pounds of restraining force. Now, if there's engineers out there, uh, hopefully you can understand that this is a very rough formula, but it works. Um, that 50 pounds is going to be transferred to the child's neck and specifically the vertebrae in the neck if the child was rear or forward facing. When the child is rear facing, that 50 pounds of restraining force is spread out over the child's, uh, the back of their head, their back of their shoulders, and the head itself is not, or the neck specifically, is not experiencing the full load of that 50 pounds. Now imagine that we take that child and turn them forward facing at, let's say, one years old. In that same forward facing crash, the child is facing the front of the car. The harness of the car seat is what's restraining their body. But there's now, in a forward facing position, there's nothing supporting their head. So their neck ends up you know, providing that 50 pounds of restraining force to hold that head in place or to prevent it from you know, going forward. Each vertebrae and the ligaments between the vertebrae are ultimately what are absorbing that crash force of restraining the head. Now, if those ligaments failure, if the, if the vertebrae fail, if the ligaments fail, where now there's there, that extension results in the spinal cord itself trying to restrain the head. And the spinal cord itself can only stretch a very, very short distance before we end up getting neurological damage. Uh, some studies say a quarter of an inch of extension of the spinal cord itself, and it begins to experience damage. So it's very, very important that 
we not allow, that we do as much as possible to prevent the head from being unrestrained. And the best way to do that is to keep the child rear facing as long as possible so that the vertebrae and the ligaments in the neck can have as much time in months and years to get as strong as possible so that they can withstand the crash force of restraining the head. Hopefully, this is all easy, much easier to explain if, I, if you could see me, if we had visual aids. <laughs> but hopefully you understand that a, a child rear-facing, their head, neck, and back are supported by the shell of the car seat. As soon as they get turned forward-facing, the neck is responsible for restraining the disproportionately large head. And that's where severe neurological injuries can potentially happen if we do that too early. So that's why all of the best practice in the American Academy of Pediatrics are all moving towards higher and higher uh, recommendations for keeping rear, kids rear-facing. Um, well, for instance, in Sweden, they keep their kids rear-facing until they're four years old, and then they, when they get turned around, they usually go straight into a, a booster seat, seatbelt positioner. Some sort of a seatbelt positioning device. Mm -hmm. so, um, and they have a lot better statistics than we do as far as child survival rate and, mm -hmm. and, and reduced injuries. Um, so I think I've covered pretty well, you know, what changes when they're turned around? Why is it important to keep them rear facing? Um, what are some of the reasons that parents are, are really eager to move them forward facing? Uh, some parents say that they want to be able to see their child. Um, and since we also recommend not using those mirrors that hang on the back of the seat, then they can't see their child and they want to be able to. Um, they also say that uh, their child gets car sick. Um, that I think that might be an actual okay time. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the scenario. <laughs> Depending on the scenario and the age of the child and, and all that. But um, yeah, I might want to uh, turn a child for that reason too. Um, but probably the most common reason is that parents say their child is uncomfortable or they're concerned about their child's legs. Now, I always kind of look at the parent a little bit weird, sorry parents, um, when their child isn't even speaking yet, but they say that their child is uncomfortable. Like, did your child somehow tell you that? <laughs> um, but they're usually concerned about their legs being uh, bent or up the back of the seat and what kind of leg injuries will this cause if they're still rear-facing because now they're reaching the back of this, the, the vehicle seat? And um, In actuality, there are no documented leg injuries for children who are rear-facing. I mean, think about how bendable and flexible kids are in these early years of life and what's going to happen to their legs in that forward impact. You know, their their ankles are going to be up by their ears, most likely. Until they rebound and come back Until down. Until they but, rebound and come back down. Yeah. But, <laughs> but they're very flexible. They like to sit cross-legged anyway, and and I, I think they're perfectly comfortable sitting rear-facing. And there are documented injuries, um, leg injuries, for being forward-facing because the seat might hit the back of the front seat in front of them. Um their knees might hit the seat in front of them. So mm -hmm. there are documented injuries, leg injuries for a child being forward facing. But as of now, there are no documented injuries for a child being rear facing for leg injuries. So 
leg injuries is not a good excuse. And, you know, going back to the wanting to see the child, first of all, we don't recommend the, the mirrors uh, that attach to the, like the headrest of the seat so that the parent can look in their rear view mirror, see the mirror of their child so that they can look at their child while they're driving. That's also called distracted driving. We do not recommend that for the safety reason that most of those mirrors are aftermarket products that have not been endorsed by the manufacturer of the car seat for use in the car. Um, and there's a lot of discussion that <laughs> just because they're uncrash tested or uncertified, unregulated does not mean that they're unsafe. It's a matter that we don't know what the impact could be. The other thing to keep in mind is that uh, Amy had mentioned rebounding. So in a, in a rear facing child, during that forward, during the, the, the initial phase of the crash, and we're talking fractions of a second here, um, the child's, all, the majority of the crash energy is going to be absorbed by the shell of the car seat and the cushion of the vehicle seat that the car seat is on. The anchor straps or the seatbelt are going to be stretching and absorbing energy, but there is a rebound phase where the car seat will bounce back and likely, uh, you know, depending on the model and the brand and the vehicle, is likely that the car seat will rebound all the way up to contacting the rear of uh, the, the vehicle seat. So if there's a hard plastic thing there, we don't want the child coming in contact with that. We also don't want that hard plastic thing failing and coming off and contacting the child. Um, I guess that would be a good time to mention. Also, uh, we want parents to be aware of projectiles. Anything in your car will become a projectile during a crash. So if you have, you know, all the dinner, you know, the, 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 the groceries full of cans of rice or cans of beans and vegetables, those are going to be flying around the car. So do your best to keep those things, um, toys, toys, uh, dogs, dogs, anything that's <laughs> pretty much a rule of thumb is if you wouldn't throw it at your child's face, try to make sure it's properly secured or stowed, uh, in the car. We want to reduce those uh, secondary impacts and injuries. I think at this point, we are ready to talk about our safety tip of the week. Right. So your infant's first car seat will be rear-facing, as we just mentioned. All rear-facing seats have to be inclined, and they all have an, some sort of indicator. Some of them have a bubble. Some of them just have a line that says this needs to be parallel with the ground. And our tip for you is to make sure that your vehicle is parked on level ground, to make sure that the car seat is in the proper angle and is not the car is in the proper angle. So if you're on an incline, your seat angle might appear to be okay, but it's really not. So make sure you're parked on level ground. Awesome, that's a great tip. Our next is our parenting tip. Right, so our parenting tip is, we've alluded to this before in other tips, but um, start with the end in mind. So um, for our children, we've always, considered how we want our children to be when they're adults. So we want them to be kind. We want them to be compassionate. We want them to be responsible and respectful. And good decision makers. 
and good decision makers and not following what everyone else is doing, but making decisions based on their own intellect. Um, so we've always kept that in mind when parenting them, when disciplining them, when trying teaching to create them, habits, <laughs> trying to create habits that will help them become those people. And, you know, I think this really, it, I would say this has been one of the most challenging things as a parent, because if I want my child to grow up to be a good decision maker, that means that they have to practice the skill of making decisions. So I, as the parent, have to be willing to give them the space to make poor decisions and experience the result, both wanted and unwanted consequences. And that's a, a word that we use a lot in our house is consequences. And the consequences of making good choices are good results or wanted results. The consequence of making poor choices is unwanted results, which also is called experience and wisdom. So the goal is, as a parent, it's sometimes hard to, A, take our own opinion and desires <laughs> out of the equation. And that instinct to protect, you know, we, nobody wants their child to suffer. But if the end is a wise decision maker, and we as humans tend to learn best through our own experience, sometimes that end result, that end game, that end goal of who, my, who I want my child to be requires that I allow them within reason to experience the unwanted results of their choices. And a perfect example with that is our children in school these days. Um, you want to talk about Mason real quick? <laughs> I'm sure he won't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've shared this before. Um, Mason started, um, after elementary school, started going to an online school um, that had an aviation um, component to it. Um, but the rest of the, his classes were online, and he got really behind. He wasn't keeping up with his courses, and his teachers were starting to be concerned and um they were reaching out to Amy saying, why aren't you doing more? Well, you, know, you know he's behind, right? And I said, yes, I know he's behind. And yes, he will learn his lesson from this. I am allowing him, if he decides that he wants to continue being behind, I will allow him to fail. I'm not going to like it, but I will allow him to do that because that will be the best lesson for him to learn to stay on track next time. And how to manage his time. And you know, his ultimate goal is to go to the Air Force Academy. And, you know, what better skill would could I have used when I was in college than managing my, you know, the time that I put into studying on my own? You know, I, I did not develop that skill. And I think that, would, that will serve all of our children to um, have that experience. And it's much better that he fails in seventh grade or maybe eighth grade than junior, senior, uh, or freshman college years because he didn't have that skill of time management and activity management. So hopefully that makes sense. Thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing or, you know, to being with you on our next podcast. If you 
uh, want to visit our website, it is saferide4kids.com. Saferideforkids.com. We got all our blogs and the really cool products that we sell. The Ride Safer Travel Vest, the Tummy Shield are our two core products at this time. Thanks for joining us. Safe travels. <laughs>